Moncrief on News Talk. Anyway, uh, it's time for farming. Marie Lavery, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Sean. How are you keeping? Not too bad. And as I suppose we usually do start with the weather, we might as well start again. Lovely uh, sunny day. Though I, I understand there's been a bit of frost, which isn't the best. No, no, uh, that's right. Um, yeah, I was on with talking to you last week and we were looking out at sunny weather, but there was still an awful lot of frost at night. And it wasn't really a big problem last week, um, but it's certainly a problem this week, and it's a problem right across the country. Now, not so much of the frost is still lingering now, although there is, you know, it's there still, but it's the fact that the grass isn't growing. And um, last week we discussed, you know, about how important grass is, and you know, the fact that we grow it really well here in this country, and we can leave livestock out for so many for so long during the year. But if there's no grass to eat, they can't stay out, and. What farmers are doing now, they have a 21-day cycle to get around our grazing paddocks. So you start at day one, you finish at day 21, and you start again with day one. But the idea is that there's enough grass on day one for you to put the livestock into it. But the frost has meant that the ground has been too cold and the grass just isn't growing. And it's a a problem right across the country. Now, for the coming week, it's expected to start growing, but the ground has to heat up before it can happen. And, um, you know, so farmers, instead of, you know, being really happy with this sunny weather, um, they're looking out and the only subject is, what's the grass like? Is it growing? Um, What's the situation? And then how on earth do you eke it out so that you, instead of taking 21 days to get around the, the cycle of grazing, it's going to take you 25 or 26, so you spread it out a little bit longer and you add, you give some cereals to your animals or you put in young stock on silage and you take them off the grass so keeping it for the the animals that you needed for at that time right so yeah the it might be sunny and bright but it's cold at night it's frosty at night and it means the ground isn't heating up and the grass isn't growing the way we expect it to and that's not just here as i understand it's happening in 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 various countries around europe even for yeah it's it's, yeah and actually there's a fabulous photograph in last week's farmer's journal of uh, what's happening in france in the chablis those of you who know your wines um in the chablis region of northern france i think isn't that also near champagne but anyway the the frost have been so bad there um that they have had to um light all of these um, fires. Uh, it's like on like, you know, like nearly like torch burner kind of things. Mm. Uh, thousands and thousands upon thousands of them in the, the grain growing area or the, in the grape growing areas of that part of France. So that um, the keep, especially in the morning time, so that the frost doesn't, um, uh, you know, kill off the, the vines or kill off the grape crop that's just beginning to kind of emerge on the vines. Yeah, and... Uh, so, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's not just a problem here, it's a, it's a problem across the board. Oh, well, people's interest perked up there immediately, uh, as soon as you said it might affect uh, the, the um, uh, availability of any sort of wine. Uh, and, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh, you've been taking advantage of uh, the increased uh, kilometre limit by driving around looking at other people's houses, which is always a great pastime. Well, that's it, yeah, yeah. It, we've only had five kilometres, you know, and, mm. I mean... Our nearest shop is three and a half kilometers away and uh, anything else is like nearly 10 kilometers away. So, um, you know, if you want to get, go get, we have a lot, we have 12 pet lambs here at the minute and they're having to be fed, you know, milk concentrate and the co-op is about, I was it, about 15 kilometers away from us. So, you know, it was like really wonderful to be able to get out and around the country. So on Sunday we went off for a drive and you know what? 
the impact of Dermot Bannon is absolutely everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> the big glass windows are everywhere. But one of the things that we, I was really amazed at now, and because we went down the back, we didn't stick to the main road, we just turned off down the back roads, the by roads, the boreens. You know, the more grass that was going up the middle of it, the better. And um, couldn't get over the number of old cottages that are being done up to an extraordinary degree. And I mean, they are fit to grace the pages of any ar- architectural magazine. Um, absolutely stunning. Now, the, the stock of these little old, little cottages um, would have been started, the, the, the state would have started building them. You know, when we had no money, we were able to build houses for people. But they were built for a lot for agricultural workers or for forestry workers um, out in the out in the fields, literally. You know, they're dotted all over the place, and and you can still see them there. And maybe there's you know older people living in them, or a lot of them have been abandoned, particularly you know in in remote areas, and they're in on good sites, and they're being snapped up because the services are already probably being supplied into them. But it was the 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 they were absolutely delightful, and the extensions that have been done to them are so well done, and so like they're really worth a second glance, and and still to scale and without overwhelming the cottage. So I just thought, you know, um, certainly Dermot Bannon has had a, you know, you can say before Dermot and probably after Dermot, but you can definitely see a type of house style, and you can see how cottages were renovated in the past in comparison to now. Yeah. And they're just beautifully done. Uh, were so, a lot, and were they, a lot they, of these for sale or, or, or just people are living in them? Yeah, yeah, well, a lot of them, there's a lot of them for sale. Well, I won't say there's a lot of them. There would have been a lot of them for sale and you couldn't sell them for toffee. And mm. um, no one wanted them. But now, you know, broadband is that much better and people are probably ignoring the government scheme and getting their own broadband organized for themselves and working from home. And they can do it now in as classy a surrounding as you could possibly want. Okay. I mean, this isn't kind of putting on the flat roof one bedroom extension or putting in the bathroom downstairs or something like that. This is like total makeover jobs. Um, stunning looking on lovely sites, lovely parts of the country. And because they've got, probably got, you know, the ability to get good broadband there now, and people, so many people now are walking remotely um, all over the place and all over the countryside. You don't know who you're living next to now and where they're walking. Um, uh, you know, these houses are being snapped up at good value. Um, there was a premises now in a local village here beside me, and uh, I think it made 45000 Uh Fine big premises. So, you know, it's people are reimagining what those cottages are like and how they could be lived in and what the villages are like and how they could be lived in. And it's a lovely thing to see, instead of them being boarded up or crumbling, that they're being re- renovated and turned into absolute gorgeous houses. Right, yeah, actually on the subject of, uh, of broadband, usually obviously we're talking to uh, uh, Maraid on the broadband, but uh, um, uh, but today she's on the phone. That's because there's a problem our end, uh, uh, not in Limerick. Yeah, so. exactly, amazing, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So she yeah. shows you now, it's, uh, it's, it's good to see that switch round uh, for a change. Tell us about the Corn Craig campaign. Yeah, well, look, they've been trying to save the corncrake for a long time, and at least they're making progress with it. But they're looking for applications in from farmers who want to get involved in a new pilot project, a five-year pilot project. Um, and they want them in um, by 5 o'clock this coming Friday. So anyone who's interested, it's the corncrake life at chg.gov.ie. People will, if they're interested, they'll probably know about this. But just to remind people... Um, 
it's, it's what they're trying to do anyway, is set up a pilot where they'd have a results-based system. So basically, it's a bit like the burning scheme where your farmer is paid for having X amount of stuff in the field, you know, uh, flowers and grasses and, and habitat and all of that sort of stuff. So it's the same with this, this particular project. And it's being operated across Mayo, Donegal and Galway for the next couple of years. And um, what they're hoping to do with the pilot group now is to develop the conservation measures for the protection and the restoration of the corn crake in areas like Malinhead and Sanadhead and Tory Island and Inishbofin. So if you're interested in it, the closing date is this Friday, 5 o'clock, and, and check it out anyway. Yeah, uh, and uh, it's something we've spoken about uh, um, every year, but I suppose it seems to be a more perilous time of the year during the summer on the farm. Well, yeah, it is now, although, you know, we, we, I have a, myself and my husband, we have a, a three-year-old granddaughter, uh, three and a half, well, yeah, coming on three and a half, and an 18-month-old little grandson. And um, we had him here in the shed the first time they saw sheep because last year it was lockdown and she couldn't come, and this year we were cocooning together. And um, anyway, we brought the granddaughter down to the shed to help feed the pet lambs. And she took one look at the whole place and she said it was too noisy and she was too, it was too smelly and she wanted to go back to the kitchen. <laughs> so there was no fear of her um, rushing down the yard to the lambs and, you know, like this is what she'd be watching for, that, you know, she'd want to sneak down to play with them, um, but had no interest whatsoever. But unfortunately, yeah, um, accidents, farm accidents are disproportionately large number of farm accidents in comparison to... Um, other workplaces, when you think of the number of farmers there are. In the last 10 years, well, in the 10-year period, 2010 to 2019, according to the Health and Safety Authority, there was 490 work-related deaths in that period, of which agriculture made up 110. So, like, that's that's a lot. Mm. 95 of them are farm workers, 15 are non-farm workers. And I'm conscious as I'm speaking here to you now that, you know, there could be people listening who've lost someone over that period and Embrace Farm does an awful lot of help to help to support those people. So um, 50% of the victims who were under 18 who died now in work-related accidents, 50% who were under 18 uh, died during the summer holiday months of July and August. So, you know, people need to kind of listen up to that. There's a, you know, they're youngsters out helping on farms, helping, you know, milking, uh, driving maybe tractors when they shouldn't be, a whole load of other stuff. And you just need, people need to get their plans in order now. If there's grandchildren coming to stay during the summer or nieces and nephews or whatever, that you have a safety plan that you check out where the potential damages or the potential danger is and that you deal with the problem now rather than be sorrowful about it after the end of the summer holidays. Yeah, and, and in those figures, Mairead, is there, is there any detail along the line of it? Is it mostly machinery? Is it slurry pits? You know, what, what yeah, well, machinery is a huge... Most of the accidents take place in the farmyard or in the fields surrounding the farm, so that's what you would expect. But um, the tractors are, are, are dangerous. Now, in all workplace um, accidents, 29% of all work-related deaths involved vehicles. Mm. And, um, you know, tractors, they're, they're a big part of the problem. Quads accounted for 6%, and loaders and telehandlers uh, accounted for 12% of the fatal accidents. So, you know, they are so often accidents that maybe could have been prevented, 
But certainly when it comes to the young age group, to that under 18 age group, and to have, you know, 50% of them who, who died killed in the months of July and August, that just tells you, you know, that's they're the holiday months and they're the months when, when kids are out on farms and they need to be, you need to really think cautiously around them. Even, you know, with, with our little three-year-old and 18-month-old, a completely different perspective on what's going on around us here and, mm. um, the, you know, how to get down to the shed and what could happen to them between here and the shed, um, what could happen if they went out the gate, you know. So just even, like, I would be more conscious of it now, way more conscious of it now than I would have been 18 months ago because now we have these two little pets going around the place mm. and you have to mind them and you are responsible oh, for them. Yeah, indeed, yeah. Uh, and now, the, the EU, there was an EU reti- farm retirement scheme. Uh, now the EU has said it didn't work. Yeah, which actually, uh, Sean, strikes me as really weird um, because the, at the time the retirement scheme, the farm retirement scheme was considered an absolute godsend and uh, and I've certainly looked at figures over time where, like, well, it's what it kind of get started on it. It started at the end of the 1980s uh, or early early 1990s, and it ran for about 15 years or more. Um, and basically, what it did was, at, once you hit 55, it gave you the option of retiring on an EU pension, roughly the same as the old age pension here. And you could run, hold on to that pension from the time you were 55 up to the time you got the old age pension. And it filled that gap. So it, what it did was it created an income for the, the older, the retiring couple, and it meant that the farm didn't have to pay for two sets of families. And, um, but now the EU scheme says that basically, for a couple of reasons, it wasn't a great success. Now, one of the reasons I can understand, um, it was that the farmers who were aged over 55, and when they gave up the farming, um, they had to... They, they, there was a rule that forbade them for reti- the retiring farmer from doing any farm work. If he was seen with as much as a bucket going around the yard, he could lose the pension and mm. they could lose any payments. So people took that really badly. And um, so it meant, you know, if it was a funeral on, you know, dad couldn't go up and feed the cattle in the shed while, you know, son and daughter were gone off to the funeral or, you know, anything like that. Just simple jobs or even to help out at the busy time. The idea was that you had to get and uh, out of the place and out of any decision making and you had to do that, you had to be very strict. So I, I can see why that was a problem. But it didn't stop big take up of reps in Ireland or of um, the retirement scheme in Ireland. But the other problem that they encountered with it across um, Europe in particular as well was um, how farmers' identity is built into their farm. Mm. And it, they are a farmer, they have a farm. And it's all about, you know, it's who they are, it's what they are, it's what their family is, it's going back generations, it's a whole lot of stuff. And there was not enough, um, there were too many barriers to releasing land. And the only alternative people had was, you know, to to release it or, or to sell it maybe. And, you know, they weren't prepared to sell it. And their identity was tied up with owning it and running it and farming it. So on the one hand, they couldn't farm at all, not even a sight of them with a bucket in the yard um, that could be reported on that. And so that was a problem. Uh, and the second problem then was um, the, the, the cultural thing with regard to having only an alternative of selling it. 
Now, things have changed a lot since then. You can do a lot more than selling it. There's like shared rearing of, of livestock. So if you've got a dairy farm and you want to keep all your young heifers, they're being looked after by another farm on his, another farmer on his farm. Um, you have, um, you know, the, the, you have joint farming. You have a whole load of different things now that you didn't have then. So I think it shouldn't be used by the EU as a, as a, a way of, you know, insisting on having no other retirement scheme ever because it didn't work this time. But I'd, I'd imagine if you asked nine out of ten farmers who took the retirement scheme in Ireland, they'd be happy with it, and they'd have been happy that they had the opportunity to do what they did. So, um, oh, that's a shame. Then. Report for people. Yeah, that's a real shame. Actually, and j- just going back to what you were saying earlier on about about the Frost Gareth in Wines Direct, who are uh, an online wine company who are regularly mentioned of a Friday, as uh, says uh, it's bad in the wine making right. regions. We have suppliers in Bordeaux, the Loire, Burgundy and even the south of France who have lost between 20 and 100% of this year's harvest, depending on the area. We will know more when flowering starts, but now all winemakers can do is wait and hope. So it's quite, quite a yeah, severe no, situation. It's, it's, it's really serious. And, you know, you think there now in the last week, you know, the last 10 days, it has improved an awful lot. But um, we have a rose hedge out here and um, it has all just come out in leaf. And every bit of it is burnt. You know, all the leaves are burnt on it. And that would have happened in the last couple of days. So um, you have to have the temperatures right in the ground to grow grass. And in the case of the wine, I think it's to do with the, when the sun comes up from the east, that's where you've got this huge problem with, with, with the way the ice um, melts. That, that's the problem with it. And so they have all of these big kind of braziers. Or, yeah, not what you call a brazier. Yeah, you know, like when yeah. you sit around there having a picnic around, um, you know, sending out flames to tree, try and heat the air um, before the, the, the crop, uh, before the sun comes up and destroys the crop. Yeah, and a lot so of they're people... literally trying to keep them from freezing. Uh, a lot of people text in as well about uh, all these lovely cottages uh, for sale. Did you say there was like a place that went for 45 grand close to you? Yeah. 45 grand, crikey. Act like in Dublin, yeah, that's see, a bus And now you've fare. got the broadband. And, every, you know, like, there's people walking all around us here in, in West Limerick, you know, who are, you know, at, you know the, their headquarters or their company is in London or it's in Geneva or mm. it's in New York or wherever. Now, I mean, I know there's a double-edged sword here that, you know, if we, if we can take jobs from all those places, they can take jobs from us as well. But, you know, like, there's a, there's a lot going for it. And, um, and certainly, you know, you can see the impact in villages, um, when you drive through them, when you're not rushing, when you're actually looking around yourself. And if you even walk through villages um, now, the, 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 how few, in actually in some cases, uh, how few houses are vacant anymore. You yeah. know, people have been buying them and taking them up and, you know, they have the advantage, the advantage of a village life with a school and a playground and a community hall and a good GA or a soccer club mm. or whatever. And, um, and, you know, they can walk remotely. Yeah. Walking remotely is going to be the lifesaver of rural Ireland. Yeah, actually, I was just uh, thinking, like, the, the pandemic may well uh, change that configuration uh, uh, for rural Ireland because many people yeah, have come to that realisation. Yeah, because it's working, su- working yeah. successfully. And, you know, you can go back to the job two days a week in Dublin. You can walk from home the other three days. And um, you don't have all of this, you know, daily commute and all the hassle. And you grandparents, particularly a big issue in, you know, rural versus urban areas. You know, you have grandparents, um, you know, near at hand to help with kids. And, 
you know, just the, that whole community spirit is there. And um, certainly in our little tour around the country now last Sunday, it was really obvious. Yeah. Um, and, and particularly the, the gener- regeneration of these rural cottages and they're being turned into absolutely little masterpieces now. Gorgeous okay. uh, People are itching to get past the 20 kilometres uh, at this point, I would have thought. Mairead, uh, thanks a million. Uh, Mairead Lavery there uh, from the Farmer Journal. We will be talking to Mairead uh, next week once we've got our crappy broadband uh, fixed. You are listening to The Moncrief Show on News Talk. Coming up after that, are bad dreams necessarily... Could bad dreams be a good thing? Moncrief on News Talk.